0: This is written by who? Paul. Where was Paul when he wrote this? In jail. Okay, here we go. I rejoiced in jail, greatly in jail to the Lord who, the the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me. Okay, really quick. Read that one more time. I rejoiced greatly in the Lord that at last. This is like so passive aggressive. You know people like this. Paul was a, a person like this. At last, finally you renewed your concern for me. Indeed, you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it. I am now I'm not saying this because I am in need, and then here's where you tune in. For I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. I have once again learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, well-fed or whole 30, well-fed or optavia diet, whether living in plenty or living in want, and then you'll recognize this: I can do all things through him who gives me strength." And so two times in this passage, Paul says, "I've learned the secret. Oh, a secret. You like secrets? Paul has one. About contentment, Paul. What's the secret? What, like, first of all, what's contentment? Let's define it. You're gonna feel like your soul is at the spa with this definition. That's my goal. Here it is: content, contentment, um, peaceful satisfaction. Everybody say, ah. peaceful satisfaction and genuinely appreciating what you have and where you are in life. He says, "I've learned the secret, man," which means contentment. By the way, if you have to learn it, contentment is not natural. If you have to learn something, right? It's been said contentment is the greatest wealth that you can have this side of eternity. Which means learning it is the most valuable thing you can do. The most valuable thing that you can do. Peaceful satisfaction with what you have and where you are regardless of your season. So sickness or in health. Summer or winter, on the mountaintop or in the valley, right? Wherever I am, my body, my mind, my heart, my soul is not entwined with my season or my circumstance, but rather with Jesus. So I can be, I've learned how to be content wherever I am. And we are citizens of heaven, and we're not just um, saved to that, we are called to now live like that. And you ask, okay, what does that look like? That looks like walking in humility, like Ryan talked about two weeks ago. Walking in joy, like Ethan talked about one week ago. And finally, the final piece of the puzzle, walking in contentment. So if you're taking notes, we're going to call this message a crash, a crash course. It's a tongue twister for me. A crash course in contentment. A crash course in contentment. Let's pray. God, we love you. Um, Holy Spirit, we invite you here. You are always so welcome and so wanted in this space and at this church. In fact, it's, it's, it's pointless if you're not here. So would you shut out distractions? Would you meet with us today? Would you transform us from the inside out? I pray this would be more than, we would do more than just learn something today, but we would be changed. God, we love you so much, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. Amen. All right. Um, Our world is changing very quickly. Have you noticed this? Even like in the last uh, 10 years, 15 years, try to go back in time a little bit here and imagine like where were you 10 or 15 years ago? Does anybody remember when Netflix used to send you a DVD in the mail like once every few days, right? And now, just 10 years later, you can, go, like, you can go home tonight and grab your remote control and lay down on the couch and turn on Netflix. And you can choose between one of like 100,000. I looked it up today. That's kind of like a rounded number. 100,000 movies or TV shows, right? Like, let's just take a moment to appreciate Netflix today. Thank God it's 2019. Uh, the Office. Um, who remembered what night of the week The Office was on? Thursday, Thursday at 7 p.m., and you, you, you didn't get to pick your episode. You had to watch whatever episode they gave you, and you had to watch it, like, with commercials too, right? It's ridiculous. Okay, this noise. Who remembers this sound right here? That part right there. Okay, we can stop it because that's 20% of it, okay? There's, it's, you had to do that to, like, get on the World Wide Web and not so you could watch, like, HD like movies, so that, but so you could like download pixelated pictures of stuff, right? I used, like, I used to be into, like into Ferraris when I was 12 and I would get online and I would do the AOL dial-up and I would, I would uh, get, get like one picture every five minutes and it would be pixely and I'd print it out and scotch tape it to my wall because <laughs> so I'm awesome like that. And uh, <laughs> who remembers uh, this right here? I got this at a museum. I'm kidding. Um... This, <laughs> like, I'm holding it up, and you're laughing at it. You got, you're laughing at this, guys. Ten years ago, this was $320, and the slickest thing you've ever seen in your entire life. The, like, the coolest thing you've ever seen. And now you look at it like, wow, okay, like... That's, uh, I'm laughing, like that belongs in a museum now, it really does, okay, so the, the, it's so, and uh, if I, ha, like now with Wi-Fi, if I, if I want to go online and, and um, watch a 4K movie and it takes longer than three seconds to load, I struggle with the um, temptation to throw my laptop through the drywall, right? I'm like, man, so much has changed. The world is changing faster and faster. Tonight when you leave here, you can go eat dinner from one of like a thousand uh, amazing restaurants in Austin. And you, you, you won't have to grow it or kill it or hunt it in order to eat it, right? Um, you can change your job this week if you want. You can travel anywhere on the planet this week if you want. You can move anywhere next week if you want. You can... You can watch anything that you want to watch tonight. There are more places to go, easier means to get there, more things to see and do and experience and watch. We live now in the most entertained, available world that history knows of. And yet, most of us are deep down, bored, and frustrated. And so contentment is a big deal. It's a big deal. The fact that you might live in an apartment like um, within driving distance of the coolest city in the world and you can pull out your phone and you can be connected to any bit of information that is known. You can call anybody on this planet You can go home tonight and watch anything you want to watch. You can get a a college education on YouTube for free this year. And the fact that all of that is true, and yet you, like me, want more, right? Like Ariel from The Little Mermaid. But who cares? No big deal. I want more. Spoiled little brat. Ariel, you want more? You have so much. It's speeding up faster and faster. It's only going to get faster and faster. We're moving into the future. We are moving into all of the more that you crave right now. But I am here to tell you that if you leave your heart and your mind and your soul unchecked, you will get 10 years from now into the more that you wanted, still bored and still frustrated. And so culturally, we need to jump on this contentment thing Cult, like culture needs content Christians, because if we can't be content, nope, like who else stands a chance at being content, right? If we can't do it. And so I, I want to show you this. Uh, Paul actually said two times, right? I've learned the secret to being content. He said that twice. And I, I heard a pastor make the point that like, okay, maybe there's, maybe there's two ways To learn contentment then. So maybe the first way is is sort of intellectually. Intellectually understanding this idea of what it means to be content. And then number two... What if you learn it by kind of being immersed into any and every situation and have to kind of learn by doing, right? And so I've learned the secret to being content. Number one, I learned it intellectually. And I think all of us have to have a little bit of a revelation around this idea of contentment and take an honest assessment of the world and how as we as human beings get more and more, it's not soothing this ache that we have to feel content with what we have. It's like, like the more options go up, the more our happiness, ironically, like plummets. That's why they say people are way more happy on an airplane because on the TV, on the seat in front of you, you have six movies to choose from instead of 100,000 on Netflix because you're, you only have to FOMO about the five that you don't watch Instead of the 999,999 movies or TV shows that you don't watch. And so we need, to, we need to take an honest assessment and realize, okay, more is not working. And if what I have right now hasn't worked, then come on. Like the answer's not more of what I already have. That's finally going to do it. I did. I did youth ministry in Laguna Beach, where everybody has a, uh, a house up on the hill overlooking the ocean, and everybody has a BMW and the new phone whenever they want it. Amazing restaurants, and not just the adults. And it also has the highest suicide rating of any city in the entire world. And so we have to. We got to do something with this contentment idea, you guys. Uh, Solomon, the wisest guy to ever walk the face of this planet. He wrote Proverbs and Ecclesiastes and Song of Solomon. Um, Solomon, his entire life, like the richest, wealthiest, coolest, most connected guy to ever live okay, um, his entire life was one big experiment to figure out if it's possible to find lasting contentment and fulfillment in anything under the sun. And so God like, literally just gave him resources and said, hey, go try to find it. And he dedicated his entire life to trying to find it in everything. And, and here's the conclusion that he came to at the end of his life. Ecclesiastes 4.4, I saw that all toil and all Achievements spring from one person's envy of another. This too is meaningless, and, and here's the key phrase a chasing after the wind. Chasing after the wind. Chasing contentment in stuff or situations or Sex or seasons is like trying to chase the wind on a stormy day. It's getting stormy outside right now. It's getting windy. After church, if you want a real-life tangible example, go try to catch the wind. Chase it until you catch it. And when you realize that you can't, in fact, do that, you have a picture of what it means. Like this carrot-on-a-stick thing that we are so like we have fallen for man we have fallen for and i'm not saying like new stuff's great like goals are great moving forward is great in fact solomon would also say hey only like fools just kind of then fold their hands and sit on the couch and do nothing like we move forward but with the like but knowing intellectually that i'm not going to catch the wind and so my contentment has to come from another source it has to right We intellectually decide and resolve that I'm not the exception and I don't chase the wind. When rich people say, riches won't make you happy, we all think, I believe you, but I'm going to (laughs) try. I'm going to try. And I've looked at it recently and I'm like, if Justin Bieber hasn't found it, am I going to find it in that? Like, no, absolutely not. And can I learn from that? Can I learn from, from my experiment that I've already tried to go and find it? Or Solomon, who was put on this planet for that purpose. It's a chasing of the wind. And we resolve intellectually, I don't do that. I don't do that. And then Paul says it a second time. I've learned the secret. This time not intellectually, but this time by immersion into any and every situation, right? And so, um, so he's saying, Paul's saying, okay, I, I've, I've done the Laguna life. I've had the house up on the hill, right? I've, I've, uh, I, I've had the BMW, and you know what? I've found contentment in it. I've, like, I learned to live that kind of life and, and do it with contentment deep in my heart. And I've also been in pain. And I've, I've learned the exact same secret. So, like, go back to Acts chapter 16 with how Philippians started Um, in Lydia's house. You remember the the wealthy lady? The church started in her house, and Paul and Silas stayed there for a little bit, and Paul's saying, okay, like, I I remember staying, crashing at Lydia's pad, and it was great, and her private chef, like, like, cooked us up some perfect medium well steaks every night. It melted in my mouth. Silas put ketchup on it. I slapped him in the face. That's not what you do. Like, I live that kind of life. And I learned to find contentment to it without selling out to it at the same time. And then two days later, I walked out of her house and I cast a demon out of a little girl and they threw me in prison where I was tortured. And I figured out the exact same secret in prison while worshiping and writing a letter about how peaceful I am. So I'm thinking, man, okay, can we do a little crash course in contentment? And I just, for simplicity's sake, for the rest of this message, um, broke this down into kind of three mini sermons, three phrases that are now yours to take with you to preach over your own life, as you experience any and every situation. Three categories of of seasons, three contentment confessions, if you will. And here we go. Let's do all three. Number one: there is meaning in the mess. There's meaning in the mess. So painful seasons, we're talking about the hard seasons right now. Inevitable, messy seasons, seasons of walking through the valley, walking through the fire. Honestly, it's in these seasons that you're way more likely to discover the secret of contentment than you are when life is going good. I wish it wasn't that way, but... um, when life's going good, you can kind of live like you don't really need God until it's no longer going good. You can't do that in pain. And so here's, here's Paul again. Imagine him in this rat-infested, dark, dirty, cold prison. And he is, he is shackled to his situation. He's shackled to his situation, and Paul and Silas are worshiping while Paul's writing letters about how content he is, right? And so I read that, and I go, okay, just a moment of just being honest. If that's me, if me and Ryan are Paul and Silas sitting in that prison, I'm probably not worshiping or thanking God for being in prison, I'm probably taking a few moments to have it out with God and vent and yell and complain a little bit and say, like, God, like, I, I, I wasn't, like, stealing purses from little old ladies. I was I, I was doing, like, I just cast a demon out of a little girl. I was trying to build your church, right? Like, I've never missed my taxes. I've always been, I always wave to people when they let me in their lane. Like, I moved to plant a, to plant a church. I've stepped into the unknown and... I'm in prison. Cool, right? Or I didn't get the job. Or I got broken up with. Or experienced the loss of a loved one, right? All of a sudden, things got painful. And I, I can't stand up here and boldly, like, declare to you why exactly God lets allows bad things to happen to people, especially people who are just really trying to, to do good in this world. There are answers to that, um, better answers than just have more faith. And I want to point you to that. Um, we don't have time. I have so many thoughts, but um, I want to stick to what I'm confident to, to p- proclaim to you right now. And what I am confident with all the integrity in the world to tell you is that Your pain is not pointless with Jesus. Because of Jesus, whatever pain you might be walking through in your life right now, it is not pointless. There is meaning in the messiness of your life that you might not be able to see right now, but one day you will. And while you're in it, there is power that is unleashed when you praise him in your pain. When things aren't going your way and you sing anyways. Paul and Silas, when you praise him in the prison. Remember that they worshipped and around midnight in prison, the earth started to shake and angels showed up and the doors swung open. Like something powerful happened because they praised God in the prison. And I said this three weeks ago, but that's what I promise you. The most powerful worship nights that have happened in Austin have happened from hospital rooms, not arenas. Those words that echo up and catch the ears of the great cloud of witnesses in heaven. There is power. And I'm not saying that's easy, I'm saying it's powerful. When you remain bright and focused on how good God is, despite the fact that your circumstances are not evidence for it right now, Internally, I'm bright when externally everything's dark. Paul has his feet shackled to his situation, they're shackled to the ground. But you know what? Paul's hands and arms are free. And so what does he do? My feet might be stuck here, but he raises his hands to heaven and he sings anyway. So whatever season of pain or valley or fire that you might be walking through right now, your feet might be shackled to it. You don't have say over your season, but you do have say over whether or not you sing. I don't have a say over my scenario, but I can control my singing my feet might be shackled to the situation, but I have a decision that I can make any time to lift my hands to heaven and sing regardless. And when you do that, oh, I am telling you, powerful things happen. And you make a declaration to yourself and to the rest of the world around you that your God is good, even when right now in my life it doesn't look like it. I know that he is good, that he is for me, and that he will deliver me. And you know what? Even if, he, even if he doesn't deliver me, he is still good. He is still good because he's God. He's God. That's who he is. Good is who he is, regardless of my any and every situation that I'm in right now. I've told you guys this before. I, uh, I've had migraines and chronic head pain for 12 years And I've seen so many doctors and so many people have prayed for me. And I've gone in my ups and downs of like pessimism, like it's never going to get fixed. God's never going to heal me. And then I've had optimistic seasons where I'm like, no, and I'm in one of those right now. I'm like, no, I believe, man. God, you want to heal me. You can heal me and you want to. There's always some amount of pain happening here. A lot of times it's kind of mellow, but there's, there's some nights, a few nights a month where I don't sleep and I just, I'm on the floor in my living room uh, just trying to like breathe through it because it hurts so bad. And this is my best way of portraying what Paul says here in Philippians 4.13 the most famous verse maybe in the Bible other than John 3, 16. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And oftentimes you hear that quoted by the winning quarterback um, of the, like, uh, in the winning team's locker room after the Super Bowl. We won through him who strengthens me, right? And like, yeah, like there's victory, absolutely, all things, victory is part of all things. But Paul wrote this from prison. And he said, I I learned to be content there. Therefore, I can do all things. And so I'll make two statements to bring this full circle about my head. Um, And both of them are true. That's the thing here. And so you, you need to kind of sit in the tension here a little bit because both of the statements I'm about to say are true. I can be healed through Christ who gives me strength. And I can be content in pain through Christ who gives me strength. And I can do both of those at the same time. man. It's like when things are good, and praise God when things are good. In fact, that's his like, God's God, he's about that. That's how he designed the universe to be. And he's bringing it back to that. And one day it will be like no more tears, no more pain. That's your father's heart, just so you know. You never have to go looking for suffering because you think, man, I'll go find it so I can be more holy. No, like God, like God wants only goodness. Here's just reality, though. When things are good, our default setting is to just kind of like we treat Jesus way more like a, a supplement who's here to make my life better and to improve a portion of my life. But, but in pain, in the fire, in the valley in the sickness, in the poverty, when it's hard, in the mess, Jesus really becomes your savior more than your supplement. Here not to just improve part of your life, but be everything for you. And I wish it wasn't this way, but it's really sometimes only when we come to the end of ourselves that we learn that. I mean, Paul, God uses a guy in chains in jail to teach all of history about something like freedom. You know? There is another in the fire with you. Praise him in the fire. Praise him in the prison. Because there's ministry and there's a story taking place in your mess. There really is. And so your perspective suddenly shifts and I'm like, man, I have the same scenario but I'm singing a different song. I have the same um, problem, but a new perspective on that problem. So we got to keep going. Wow, we have to keep going. Okay. There, they should have split this into two weeks. Why did I not do that? Okay, next one. There is magic in the mundane. Magic in the mundane. So most of life, we're talking about the monotonous seasons now. Most of life is not Instagram posts. Can we all agree, just as fellow humans, a life of contentment has a tiny, tiny, tiny bit to do with the postable moments and a lot to do with the everyday, ordinary, monotonous, mundane hours, days, and seasons of following Jesus where there's no sunset and no audible voice of God. You could relate this to marriage. Marriage has a tiny bit to do with speaking vows to each other in a ceremony one time and a lot to do with living out those vows in reality for a long, long, long time. But, man, there is contentment to be found in the mundane. Magic is in the mundane. So, like, this week, you think of, like, the monotony of your life. Okay, I'm raising kids. I'm making lunches again I am trying to get them to church. Dear God, help me get them to church, right? I'm running errands and it it doesn't feel like I'm changing the world even though I feel like I'm supposed to, right? And I'm driving to work and I'm coming home and driving to work. I'm doing my best. I am telling you there is contentment to be found in the mundane. And I'll prove it to you. The story of Jesus taking um, uh, one little boy's lunch and feeding 5,000 people with it. Matthew chapter 14. Who is the hero of that story besides Jesus? The mom who made the lunch (laughs) that morning, just like she makes that lunch every single morning. Is the here like there is magic in the mundane. It's when comparison creeps in. If you're gonna write anything down, make it this right here. It's when comparison creeps in that contentment walks out. Especially around the the, the ordinary, everyday, monotonous parts of life. When, when, when comparison walks in, contentment walks out. Those things are like Katy Perry and Taylor Swift at the same party. They can't be at the same party. When one walks in, the other has, that is good, the other has to walk out. That's why Time Magazine last year said that of all the social media platforms, Instagram by far, by far causes more depression, anxiety, FOMO, and envy than the rest of them, if you're confused. Instagram, what is that? Here's a definition for you. Instagram, a visually stimulating social media platform intentionally created for every second of everyday reminders that your body is out of shape, your kids aren't dressed as trendy as your neighbor's kids, your life is boring compared to every travel blogger and 20 year old life coach, your kitchen is shamefully outdated, your home is decorated like crap, your artless posts have uninspired captions, you did a terrible job planning your wedding, and you lead a mundane and humdrum life unlike everybody else you follow who unlike you apparently have learned the secret to contentment and happiness. And that's playful because it's dangerously true and I'm not saying go delete your Instagram. I have one. That's like our main way of communicating with you, okay? So don't go delete it. But also don't tell me, well, I don't have an Instagram. So like I'm not talking about a medium as much as a mindset here right? Um, HD, HGTV can be enough to, to make you go, well, my house sucks, right? Oh, I'm not that great at decorating. Oh, compared to Joanna Gaines, you're not great. Like, no way. Like, yeah, and I'm not great at basketball compared to LeBron James, right? When Sam and I got married, we moved into an apartment and we dreamed about a house one day. Man, we did. I have it in my dear diary. I want a house. I, I can show you And then, uh, so for a year then, after that, we moved into her dad's basement to save money for a down payment for a condo. And we we dreamed of a house, man, living in that basement. And then we finally were able to put a down payment on a little condo. And uh, for three years, we were house broke. All the money went to the mortgage. We had a budget. We each got 15 bucks a month for fun stuff or shopping. So I got two Chipotle burritos a month. (laughs) <laughs> or, or one round of twilight golf at a mediocre course. <laughs> we, we dreamed of a house. And then we sold it. We moved to Austin. We, we moved into an apartment here um, where the people above us um, I, like, made meth in their kitchen. I know that because our buddy, Will, who helped us move in. Will, like, he's one of my best buddies. He has the craziest, coolest testimony where he, he came out of that world. And he was we were carrying my mattress in. And he goes, bro, you, do you know what that is? Coming from the vents right above you? I'm like, great. Can't wait for a house one day. I want. And then last October, guess what? We finally, we moved into a house. We did. Three bedrooms, man, like, A backyard with a lawn that I can mow. Gosh, I love that. Anytime I want, I can go mow this yard. Guess what I caught myself doing two days ago? Looking on Zillow at homes. Not because I can afford a new one. Not because that's happening anytime soon. I just, Instagram is not my comparison thing. Zillow is. It is, man. And you know what, though? We all all have it. There are so many mediums to compare and not be happy with the amazing thing that God has given you that you've been looking forward to, right? We live in a culture of constant comparison, unlike any generation that has come and gone before us. And the thing, the thing that will rob contentment unlike anything else is comparison. Chasing the wind. It's getting windy. And as we move into the future, it's going to get more and more windy. And if I had access to your Instagram for two minutes, I could tell you the wind you're chasing. You could tell me the wind that I'm chasing. You will never be who you were born to be as long as you're looking over your shoulder constantly at at, at everybody else. Jordan Peterson says this. If you have to compare... If you have to compare yourself to something, compare yourself to who you were yesterday, not who everybody else is today. How good is that? Compare yourself to who, because if you can't be content in an apartment, you won't be in a house. If you can't be content single, you won't be content married. And vice versa. If you can't be content here, you won't be content there. You won't. Especially, man, when you, when you think of the behind-the-scenes version of your Instagram that you don't post, that is far more, not, not just messy, but like mundane and everyday and monotonous. When comparison walks in, contentment walks out. And the future is not given to the talented or the gifted or to those who were dealt the best hand. Um, or the travel bloggers, or, you know, like, the future is given to the content. The wealthiest human being on planet earth is not the richest, but the most content. We got to keep going. There is, I wish we could, man, dang it. Okay. There are miracles in the mystery. Have you noticed all the M's? BJ, you know, you like that? We worked hard on it, so. Um, we'll go quick here. To trust in God in the known is nothing. But to trust God in the unknown, in the mystery, that is faith. And faith leads to miracles. I feel like from the moment you say yes to Jesus, remember, he doesn't save you and leave you. He saves you and, ban, you can come up. He saves you and he calls you forward into the unknown, right? We're we're way more committed to the future than we are to the past. None of us have ever been to the future. We are all venturing in every day into the unknown, into a place none of us have ever been. I think of Peter getting out of the boat. Remember Peter and the boys in the boat when they they they, they see somebody on the water? They think it's a ghost. They think it's Patrick Swayze. I didn't make that joke up, but it's good. Um, and, I lo- and Peter, right? Peter goes, like, Jesus, if that's you, tell me to walk out onto the water. And Je- like, Jesus goes, all right, come. But just like that's it, okay? And then so Peter steps out onto an ocean during a storm and starts walking to Jesus into the unknown. We're singing oceans tonight, guys. That's why I'm doing a beach metaphor, an ocean metaphor right now. I haven't heard oceans in so... It's so good. So good. Take me deeper than my feet could ever wander. Spirit lead me where my trust is without borders. Peter, like, you could say that, like, Peter started to sink, and so it was, like, a little bit of a failure. You know what I mean? Like, it's not how you start. It's how you finish. And Peter finished drowning, you know? But here's the thing. You call it a failure, I don't. But let's just like, for the sake of this message, let's call it a failure. Who's closer to Jesus spatially? The 11 guys in the safety of the boat in the known? Or the one dude drowning in the ocean trying to get to Jesus in the unknown, right? (laughs) Miracles happen in the mystery. That's why one human being, other than God himself, has a testimony, I walked on water. One human being. Miracles in the mystery. Peter did not walk on the water until he got out of the boat. The Jordan River did not part until they stepped into it. 21 people did not get baptized until we either moved or gave or prayed or served and stepped into the unknown to see, man, God, what can you do if we get out of the boat? man what could we what could you do and so so there it is there's a a crash course there there's meaning to the messiness of your life there's magic in the mundane parts of your life if you look for it and there's miracles that happen in the mystery of your life so get comfy being uncomfortable he calls us out of the boat and that's where real faith and real life happens But what's the secret, Paul? Because Paul said, I've learned the secret to being content. And I, I think it's more simple than we make it out to be. I think the secret to contentment is just gratitude. So in any and every season that we just talked about, the painful ones, the good ones, the monotonous ones, the mysterious ones, the unknown ones, the comfortable ones, the the key to contentment in any and every season is gratitude. Gratitude, look, check this out. Gratitude takes what you have and makes it enough. Okay? I like... I was telling, I I literally, like, I had, like, a little bit of, like, a realization and had to grab my Bible and go check it right before the sermon to see, like, okay, is that actually in there? And it is. Okay, so Jesus feeding the 5,000 people. Is is one boy's lunch enough to feed 5,000 people? It's not. But somehow it was enough to feed 5,000 people. And I I went back and read it. Matthew chapter 14. Go read it. Jesus takes this little boy's lunch and gives thanks for it and says, God, he has gratitude for this one peanut butter and jelly sandwich, right? He's grateful for it. Like, lifts it up to heaven and says, Father, thank you for this. And suddenly, what he had in his hands became enough for 5,000 people. Gratitude takes what you have and makes it Enough. Being thankful in the pain, being thankful in the mundane, being thankful in the good. You can have, you can be in a great season and have so much, and it's not enough. It's chasing the wind. Gratitude is the secret. Matt Chandler uh, has this document on his computer, and I've adopted it and done the same thing. That's just titled, Don't Cry For Me. And it's for one of his kids to read one day at his funeral. So you can read it at my funeral and, and, and it's titled, Don't Cry For Me because I'm home. Don't cry for me. All the things he's grateful for because I've, I've eaten a perfectly cooked steak. Thanks, Ed. Don't cry for me. Don't, I have a, an amazing wife, an amazing son, Don't cry for me. I got to be alive when you could watch all nine seasons of The Office on Netflix in three days' time. Don't cry for me. I got to plant a church in the coolest city in the world with the greatest group of people ever. Do not cry for me. Because suddenly that gratitude, whatever season you're in, it takes what you have and it makes it enough. This is the secret to being at peace. What's the definition? Like you're at a spa. Being peacefully satisfied. That's it. And genuinely, without force, genuinely appreciative of where I am and who I am and what I have. Because I'm grateful for what I have. And that gratitude takes what I have and makes it enough so I can learn how to be content. Man, that's my challenge, guys. It's, It's getting windier. And it actually is outside right now. Be careful when you go out there. It's getting windier and windier with more and more opportunities of wind to chase that you will not catch if Solomon hasn't caught it yet. You're not going to. I'm not going to. Like, like chase stuff, but your contentment is found in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. Tether your soul to him, not in your scenario. And in the painful seasons where you might be shackled to your situation, raise your hands and praise him in the pain. Give him thanks anyways. You can't always control your situation, but you can control whether or not you sing. And when you sing in your pain, power is unleashed in your life. And I'm like, man, it's, it's those moments. Like when Paul and Silas are worshiping in prison, that they understand a deeper revelation of this secret of contentment and gratitude that paul was talking about where it's no longer just the intellectual head knowledge but now no it's part of me and everywhere i'm go i'm fine man i'm fine I'm not looking ahead to like, God, get me to the next season, the next whatever. Guys, the next season is always going to be so sexy until you get there. And then you can't be there because in order to be there, you need to know how to be content. And if you weren't content here, you're not going to be content in that idealistic future that you're creating in your own imagination. If you can't be content now. You never will be regardless of, of what goodness comes your way. And you'll put pressure on, a, on stuff or on a salary or on success or on a, a spouse to, to do something that gratitude was supposed to do for you. And so now you can't even enjoy it. Nobody, like, God used a dude in chains to teach us about freedom. Nobody enjoyed life like Paul did, man. This is the secret, and gratitude takes what you have and makes it enough. Amen.